You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Get away. Uh, and also, they're praying for you guys, and they are taking time to even ask the Lord to speak into the next season of this church. Uh, and what maybe what we're teaching on, even some things we can be praying about and working on as a church as well. So they are taking time to rest so that they can come back and continue to pour out as well. And that's important. We got to rest. Um, well, Sabrina stole what I was going to start my message with, so I'll just say it because it's exciting. Uh, we are expecting our third child, which is a really exciting news. Um, and it is. We decided, or not we decided, but I'm sure Jesus decided that uh, Shauna, our daughter, is just too cute. And the world couldn't handle another ugly girl, so there will be another ugly boy running around <laughs> uh, sometime around June 1st. So uh, you guys can be praying for Sabrina, for us and our children, especially Shauna, who probably doesn't even know exactly what's happening right now because she's only a year and a half. She says to, she points to Sabrina's belly and says, baby, but I don't think we, I don't think, we, I don't think it's clicked yet, so. Um, but we are very excited. Thank you for celebrating with us. We know you guys will be praying for us as well. Um, this morning, though, we are currently, uh, we're back going through the book of John. We took a break last week as we, Ron and Annette, talked about some words or just some prophetic things they had for our church and our community for this year. So if you haven't heard that message, I can encourage you. You can go online to our website and click sermons. And we have, it's like years of sermons on there. You can go back and listen to any of our series from years ago as well. Um, but you can listen to that one. I recommend it. It's very good, and it's Ron and Annette's heart for, uh, for our church this year as well. So, but we are back in John. We're going to be in John 15 today, uh, and it's actually part of what's called the Upper Room Discourse with Jesus and his disciples as they're talking, uh, and Jesus is trying to let his followers know everything he need, feels like they need to know before he goes and dies. Like, this is basically Jesus' deathbed speech. He's, he's not lying on his deathbed, but he knows where he's going, and he wants his followers to know these things. And I love that John records it so thoroughly, because it's five chapters of his gospel dedicated to one night's worth of conversation, because it was that important. We need to know this stuff, and it was important for Jesus' disciples to know, and it's important for us to know as well. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two different relationships um, that Jesus wants his disciples to prioritize. And yes, that means he wants us today to prioritize them as well. And this is as much uh, for us as it was for those 11 sitting in the room, because at this point we know Judas has already left to go accept a bag full of cash to betray Jesus. And he's not really a part of this conversation anymore. But these 11 men sitting in this room, Jesus wanted them to know these things and it's just important for us to know as well. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. And this is a, this is a very famous verse, so I'm not going to pretend to present anything brand new uh, that maybe some of us haven't heard before, or maybe this is your first time hearing this, and I want you to take to heart what we're talking about this morning, because this is the last I am statement Jesus gives in the book of John. Excuse me. And we've talked about this a couple times. Well, when I spoke earlier in November, I, we hit on one of Jesus' I am statements, and even last week, I, or a couple weeks ago, Ron mentioned these I am statements and how important they are, because Jesus, when he's saying this, when he says, I am, he's using the name I am that in the Old Testament he asked his people to call him. So when he says, I am something, he's saying, I, like, God is saying, I am this for you. And people would have recognized that I am statement we actually saw early in the book of John, that people tried to throw rocks at him 
and stone him to death because he even dared say, I am. And so we're looking at the last one this morning, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to look at the first relationship we want to look at this morning, and it's um, the relationship Jesus has between him and his disciples. And this can also say this, just put in your name where it says disciples on this point. The relationship Jesus, Jesus' relationship from him and you, from Jesus to Ryan, from Jesus to, I don't know, Frank. Is there, I don't know if there's a Frank in here, but this is his relationship with us, to his disciples, his followers. And this may seem obvious, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyways. Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. If you're sitting in the chairs or you're listening online this morning, you probably know that at least that he wants a relationship with you deeply. Even if you don't have that relationship back with him fully, he wants one with you. He wants us to abide in him. And the word abide, we're going to read this in a second, but the word abide means to remain or stay in, in our English language. But if you look at the Greek when it was written, it's the Greek word meno, and it means to stay or live. To stay, when Jesus said, I want you to abide in me, he says, I want you to stay with me and I want you to live in me. We're going to talk about that word live in a little bit, but abiding in Jesus looks like this. It looks like an absolute dependence on him. Abiding in Jesus is an absolute dependence on him. And that means, I don't mean like kind of dependent, like we need him when our car breaks down or when we're low on money or when something isn't going our way and we're, we're crying out, Lord, help us. It means an absolute dependence on him that every day we wake up, when every breath we take, it's, we're dependent on him for our life. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open them with John. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, and it's going to be on the screens if you want to follow along or if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. It says this. This is what Jesus is saying to his, his, his followers. He says, I am the true vine. That's where we get the I am. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory so that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I want to highlight really quick verse 4 where it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. I am so glad Jesus remains in us. It's not like he, he didn't say, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. He's saying, remain in me as I also remain in you. This, there's, no do, there's no this for that with Jesus. It's just, hey, please remain in me because I am already remaining in you. And he uses the vine reference here because it exemplifies that absolute dependence on him. Because see, the vine, I would say the vine is more important to the branches than a shepherd is to his flock. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, but he also calls himself the true vine. Because see, a sheep can wander and, poss and possibly find its way back. I've seen some sheep in my day. They're, they're the strangest animals, but they can wander off and they can find that they're not very good at finding their way back, but it is possible. I'll say it's possible. If you cut off a branch from the vine, it's dead. 
Separation from the vine is separation from nutrition, from structure, from stability, and it's separation from that word we talked about earlier, from life, from living. See, that's absolute dependence because if we're not connected to him, we are not living. When we think of our relationship with Jesus and how it operates, we find that Jesus is not just added to the life of a disciple, or he wasn't just added into his disciples' lives. He becomes the source of life of a disciple. We need to change our mentality to be an effective disciple church. Jesus is not something we just add to our lives to improve it. You know, he's not, Jesus is not a supplement we take to make us feel better. Uh, I tend to work out whenever I have the energy to, I'll be really honest. Uh, but there's this thing that my wife had me start drinking called pre-workout where you drink it and it like makes you feel good and not exhausted. Um, and then you can go work out. And then after you work out, you feel exhausted and not good again. Like, I don't know why we do this. Um, but she had me start drinking pre-workout and it's like, this is great. I have all this energy. And then now I have to drink protein like after I work out. So I'm not sore. Why do we do this? But he, he's not something we can take to feel good to go do something. You know, he's not a cell phone or like some, something we carry that makes our, he, we, he, we carry with us to make our life easier or more, uh, you know, just helps us communicate easier. He's not some accessory like a watch that we wear. You know, he's not just any kind of expectation or experience we have where it's like, oh, Jesus was this really cool summer camp or retreat experience and now I'm good. He's not something we just add to our life to hopes to make it better. He is the source of our life. He doesn't want to be some supplement we take, church. He wants to be the source of life. The true vine is an obvious reference to, to grapevines. And Israel is grape country. I've, I've went once when I was in college, and you just kind of look like, oh, there's a vineyard. There's a vineyard too. There's some sheep. There's another vineyard. It's, it, I mean, it's like, it's like California and even like Southern Oregon a little bit. If you drive into Southern Oregon and you take off the highway, you just find like wine country everywhere you go. And Israel was known for this. And actually, Israel's referenced and used as an example as a vineyard, both in the Old and New Testament, quite frequently. And left to itself, a grapevine will produce dead wood and just non-growth. Does that sound a little bit like the Old Testament Israel to us a little bit too? Like coming out of the wilderness and all the, through all the judges and through the time with Samuel and all the kings where Israel is like, we love Jesus or sorry, we love God. Oh, we're not, well, who's God? We love God again. Like they have this constant season in Israel's history of relying on God. And as soon as things are good, just being like, no, we got it. And an Oh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this vineyard that they talk about as Israel is being pruned and growing. It's the absolute dependence on Jesus that they were missing. God, because see, God is the gardener, and he comes around and he prunes the branches or the people connected to the vine. God lifts us up. He stretches us out. And he forces us to grow a branch must be pruned. A branch must be lifted up and stretched out so it can continue to reap a harvest. If you leave a branch alone on the vine, it's going to do whatever it wants to do, and you'll find that the harvest is not as good as if you prune it and you shape it and you make it grow correctly. If a branch is left alone to grow in any which way it wanted, it'd become unhealthy. And I just have this picture of like me as a branch as I was reading this scripture multiple times, like hanging off of a vine and God walking over to me, like clipping something off, and be like, ow, why did you do that? 
I like that part of me, or that part of me, that hurts that you're cutting that part of me off. And just God being like, well, I got to. I don't know why God's so nonchalant about it, but he's like, hey, I have to. (laughs) We all have kind of like, I feel like God's got a sense of humor, right, guys? God's saying, I have to cut it off. Or you, so you can continue to grow. If I don't cut it off, you're not going to grow. Jesus desires to see us, his disciples, grow. That is the relationship he wants to have with us, because this is our first point we're talking about. Jesus has a relationship to his disciples. So we see in verse 4, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And this, this is a mutual relationship, church. Jesus is saying, I am leaving you, I'm about to leave, but you will still have a connection to me, and you must keep that connection to me. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have been thinking that God is the gardener and Israel is the vine. But Jesus is now saying, hey, I am the vine. Don't think of Israel, this country, God's chosen people as the vine vine anymore that the world needs to be connected to for salvation. It's me. I am the source of life now. Look to your connection with Jesus instead of a place or a religion or like a church Fruit bearing is inevitable, church, when it's, pa- per, sorry, fruit bearing is inevitable when it's paired with proper abiding. It's inevitable. It's obvious when a plant has healthy fruit, right? You look at the plant, you see fruit, you take it, you hold it, you look at it again, you taste it a little bit, and you know, hey, that's good. You can tell when a plant's got good fruit if you test it, if you look at it, you experience that. And you look at those fruits in us that we should be experiencing, that people should be testing and experiencing. And you look in Galatians chapter 5, you see where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, where he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that one that we're all really good at, self-control. No, no. Because Jesus says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that just kind of shakes me to my core a little bit because complete and absolute dependence on Jesus is the answer. There are lots of things and activities, church, we can do without Jesus, right? Like I can, I can still go about my day without Jesus. Lots of people do it every day. But there's nothing eternal and lasting we can do without Jesus' help. We shouldn't want to be a generation or, or a church, for that matter, of momentum-riding believers, like riding someone else's momentum that they started and just letting it go and hoping it carries us to the finish line, hoping it carries us where we need to go. Church, we should want to be a generation or in a church of momentum starting and sustaining believers because it's not about just riding momentum and hoping everything works out. It's about being dependent on Jesus to start something and keep it going. It doesn't take Jesus to let momentum continue, but it does take Jesus to start and sustain that. Momentum will only take us so far if we don't sustain it. And Jesus says, I am your source of life. I will sustain you. In verse 5 through 7, again, we kind of see where he says, those who do not abide in me will be thrown out. And this is probably the scariest part here because I also believe it's possible to be so obsessed with bearing fruit that we lose sight of our connection to the vine. Like saying to ourselves or even to people around us, I've got to bear fruit. Like I've I've just got to bear good fruit that we become more obsessed with the fruit bearing than the abiding. 
If we are connected to the vine, we will bear fruit. If we abide in Jesus on the vine, we will bear fruit. It's possible to bear fruit that looks good but is actually sour. Um, as I, I, we go blackberry picking pretty frequently in the summers, especially my father's property. He have, they have some um, blackberries on the edge of it, and we go, we go pick now in the summers. And I have a love-hate relationship with blackberries. I don't know if anyone else does, or if you're like, I absolutely love them, or you're like, I absolutely hate them. I'm a little bit of both. Because you can pick the world's best-looking blackberry, and like, this is the juicy one, this one's good, and you put it in your mouth, and you're like, ugh. That's the most sour thing I think I've ever tasted. And I don't, I, there's no rhyme or reason to blackberries. You kind of have to mix them all together and hope that's sweet enough. <laughs> but uh, we were p- p- picking blackberries with, uh, this summer as a family, and uh, my son was picking them. And he's like, Dad, how do you tell if it's a good one? And I was like, it's got to be juicy. It's got to be big. You can't pick a small one. It's got to be the right color. It's got to be all this. And he's like, this one? And I was like, yeah, that looks like a really, really good one. And he ate it. And he goes, Dad, you're wrong. It's sour. <laughs> and I remember just thinking like, how do, we, how do you honestly know? You have to fully experience the fruit, not just looking at it, not just holding it, actually and tasting it and getting the full experience of the fruit to really know if it's good or not. And Jesus states that branches with no fruit will be cut off, yes. But more importantly, he states that branches that don't abide in him will be thrown out. So, yeah, you can still bear fruit. And then not be the best fruit and be cut off. But if you're not abiding in him, you will for sure be thrown out. We can't obsess about the works and the fruit. We must obsess about the abiding and the rest will come naturally, church. This is why Jesus, he didn't say like, hey, I want you to bear fruit. Jesus said, I want you to abide in me so that you would bear fruit. Too often we, we want to be a part of God's kingdom, but we don't want God to have anything to do with it. There's this worship song that I've been listening to like constantly lately because as soon as I find a good one I like, I just, I just sit on it and I listen to it on repeat. Uh, but the, the bridge says this. It's a song called Make Room. And the bridge says, shake up the ground with all my tradition and break down the walls of all my religion because your way is better. We want to be <laughs> a Christian, but we don't want to have a fully abiding relationship with Jesus we don't want that full connection with Jesus. We kind of want to do it our own way when we really always should be thinking your way is better. So what does it look like for you to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to have this kind of a relationship with Jesus? Is it waking up earlier so you can make sure you give him part of your day before it gets too crazy? I have two kids, so my day gets crazy basically from 7 o'clock on. Uh, is it simply placing yourself in a posture of accepting God's help with your everyday struggles or maybe putting yourself in a place where you can worship more effectively? Is it learning to love the pruning in your life? Because with the pruning comes a renewed reliance on the vine, Jesus Christ for life. Church, I want to I make a challenge this morning. Learn to love the pruning process. It, it hurts a little bit, and it's not as much fun as not being pruned, I'll say that. But learn to love the pruning process because when God prunes you, you're in the prime place to come and grow into a healthy, healthy season. The second relationship I want to look at is this this morning. This is the, only, the second point. So if you're taking notes, it's our, Jesus' relationship to his disciples or us and then the relationship Jesus' disciples have with one another. And so and I get the feeling that Jesus really cares about us, but I also get the feeling he just almost just as importantly, he wants us to care for one another. 
Um, and we're going to read John 15, verses 9 through 17, so the second half of this, of this conversation on abiding in the vine. And it says this, starting in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Thank you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that you, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, uh, sorry, if you do, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed to you so that you might be, or you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name and the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Uh, and what's great is in verse 12, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was the glue for this group of men. Most of these men were all from different classes and walks of life, and now Jesus is leaving, and wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense for this group of men to just depart and disband the moment Jesus leaves them? They didn't hold a whole lot in common. I mean, some of them are like, well, I like fish. You like fish? Cool. But some of them are like, I used to take money from you. You know, like, not a lot, most of these men didn't have a whole lot in common, but what they did have in common was the glue of their relationship with each other, and that was Jesus. And I want to say, how many different lifestyles, nationalities, age demographics, like you name it, are even represented in the body of Christ, in this room, watching online right now? This is why being a part of a church and a church body is so crucial, because what we do have in common is the vine that gives us life. That's what we all have in common. The glue is holding the, this glue is holding the church together and bringing us life through Jesus. Ron always says, like, I have determined to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2. And that's, like, his thing. Like, he, he just, I don't care about anything else. Like, it just, if we talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's the most important thing. And church, the most important thing for us to remember is that we are in relationship with one another and we are building each other up. And with people outside these walls, every week we encounter those who may not have that same hope we have in Jesus. And the one thing that's holding this church, God's church together, is Jesus and our effective ability to be absolutely dependent on him and abide in him to go out and do things that we shouldn't be capable of doing, but in Jesus and the Holy Spirit we can Jesus was not willing to let this group disband. That's why he's having these conversations with them uh, on this night. When we, uh, when we abide in Jesus, we can love like Jesus. He commanded us to love one another. Um, and Jesus had given the disciples multiple commands and instructions throughout his life with them. Like he sent them out. You know, he sends out the 70 disciples. And he sends out the 12. And he tells them, go and preach the good news, the coming of the kingdom of God. And if they don't listen, do this. And if they do listen, do this. And he gives them all these instructions. But in this moment, in his last night with them, he gives them one command. Because it encompasses everything. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And let's talk about that because I'm not, I don't know about you, but I, I need Jesus' help with the last part, like love one another as Jesus loves me. I've I know I fail at that. I know I could be better at that. I have a good idea of what love is, but to love like Jesus did means what exactly? How do we do that? Well, we start obviously be filling, being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
letting God empower us to do the things that we can't do on our own. And if we truly love one another, it's, it's, it's enough. Because God's love covers a multitude of sins. God's love covers our iniquities. God's love covers our shortcomings. God's, and if we are loving one another like Jesus loves us, it's enough. We are accepting. We are forgiving. We are gracious. Verse 13 says, No greater love is there than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I, this is one of the, the verses that's been really speaking to me for the last, probably the last two years. If you've heard me speak a sermon on Sunday or maybe if you hung out in our youth ministry on Sunday nights, you've probably heard me reference this verse because I love that Jesus states this fact of what there's no greater love. This is what true deep, the true deepest, greatest love there is, is to lay down your life and give up everything you have, your life and everything involved with it for your friends. And then, you know, 12-ish hours later, he goes and actually does that very thing. He says, this is the best example of love I can give you to give up everything for someone else. And he goes up and he gives everything for all of us. And in verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. And a, a servant's kind of like a tool with skin on it a little bit. They do is like, you know, you do as you're instructed. If I have a hammer, I'm the one telling the hammer what to do. The hammer is not like, hey, maybe you should try swinging in this motion. The screwdriver is like, well, you're, you're doing lefty-loosey when you're supposed to be doing righty-tighty, Ryan. I make that mistake constantly. I don't know why. For some reason, I put a screwdriver on, and I swear I'm turning it to the right, but I'm actually loosening it. And it's just like my brain doesn't work in directions or something. But the tools don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. I just tell the tool what to do, and it does it. Like, that's how Jesus is making this comparison. Like, you guys, I've, you have been servants, but now you're friends because you didn't know my business. You didn't get to speak into everything, but now you do get to speak into this. When Jesus brings us into his work, it's not so we can just be his tool. It's so we can be his friends and his partners within the work. We get to be a part of the process, not just the execution of whatever Jesus wants us to do. We get to speak into the process. He gives us an opinion. He says, hey, go pray for that person. And we don't, like a robot, just go pray for the person. He says, go pray for that person. And my response is, I don't know, does that person really want prayer Jesus? I don't know, what if, I, what if they say no? Where, like, how am, I, how am I supposed to know I am supposed to pray for that person? But he, I have the option to speak into the process, even though if my advice usually is wrong. Or my flesh gets in the way a little bit, but I have the freedom. And Jesus says, I choose you to let you be a part of the process and not just do as I command. We say in youth and kids ministry that we partner with parents to bring Jesus' love into the life of a child. Like if in youth ministry and kids ministry, if we're the only ones speaking Jesus in that, that student or that child's life, it won't be as effective as if they go home and they get it reinforced by their parents too. So I, that's why we partner with parents in next-gen ministry. We love to communicate with parents. I love to, we love to talk to them about what their students got going on. We love to have face-to-face -face conversations. I, have, I text parents every now and then. So they know what their student has going on, ways they can be praying for their students. And Jesus lived out this declaration of love. He made a promise to love us, and he kept his promise. And the price of that relationship and that promise to us was his life. But if it meant he gained his creation and he gained his friends, he would pay it. And he did. Verse 16 says this, he did not, you did not choose me, I chose you. And uh, 
so that, he says, so that you will bear fruit that will last. And I don't, I don't remember if Ron said this a couple weeks ago. I think he did. But rabbis didn't choose, or teachers in biblical times did not choose their followers. Their followers chose them. So if you were a well enough known, like a, a good standing rabbi, and you were very famous, lots of people would come to you and ask if they could learn from you. But Jesus, when he started his ministry, he didn't wait for people to come to him. He went and found people and said, come and follow me. He's so like, Jesus is so countercultural that he chose his disciples. He didn't have his disciples choose him. And I'll say this, the ones he chose were not very special. You've, you've, if you've read the Gospels, or maybe if you haven't, I encourage you to go read the Gospel. John, Luke, you know, Mark, Matthew, you name it. When he calls his disciples, it's a couple dudes fishing on a lake. It's a tax collector sitting in a tax booth. It's a zealot like Judas. He calls his disciples, and they're not the best, most special people. But church, Jesus chose you, but he didn't choose you because you were special. He doesn't choose you because of what you can bring to the table or some special skill or how amazing you are or the fruit he can harvest or get from you. It's not what Jesus can get from you or how great you are. He chose you because he loves you. If I was picking people for a basketball team, I'll be honest, um, the thought would, eventually, would first cross my mind, especially if like my wife was an option. I'd be like, uh. but I love my wife and I would pick her to play basketball with me because I love her. Even though she brings nothing to the basketball courts. <laughs> I love her to death. One of, our, one of our first, like when we were first dating and we were looking for clever things to do, we would actually like just go out and like throw a baseball. Like I, had to, I taught her to throw a baseball. Like she's not that, she's not gifted athletically in that way. She was a dancer. She did other things, right? And if she tried to teach me to dance, I'd look like a fool too. But I would pick her to play basketball with me. Because I know I love her and I want her to feel chosen. Even though she doesn't bring anything special to any basketball team I would have her be a part of. I love you. (laughs) But I would pick her anyways. Because I love her. And I may have to teach her, just like Jesus had to teach his disciples for three and a half years. What it meant to follow him. What it meant to give their lives over to God. And accept the power of the Holy Spirit. All of it. He had to teach them and he chose them even though they didn't have anything special to bring to the relationship. God loves us. Who are we to pick and choose who experience God's love or doesn't? They're, these are God's words. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the relationship that we as his followers or people striving after God are to have with one another. We're supposed to have an absolute dependent relationship on Jesus for a source of life and an absolute dependent relationship on each other for our continued momentum, our continued source of life to build each other up as well and encourage one another. So what does it look like to live, to, to look, sorry, what does it look like to love one another today, tomorrow? Maybe um, is your family not getting along as you think it should? Or immediate or otherwise, is your work life not as life-giving as you hoped it would be? Is your marriage struggling? Do you have, a, do you have some crazy children at home? That's, that's me but we love them. They're not crazy in a bad way. Sorry, I feel like I needed to say that. Are we loving one another as Jesus would? Are we laying down our lives for those we should call friends that we instead sometimes call annoying? Or we call this like people our enemies or people who are against us. You name it, whatever. What about laying down a piece of your life for someone else? Your time to go out of your way 
and be example of God's love to bless someone who maybe doesn't deserve it. And that is very difficult. I'm not trying to say that that's easy. Loving like Jesus did is not easy, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, because the examples Jesus gave us, we can follow someone's lead and we can learn how to do it. And if we mess up one day, we can try again tomorrow. And the love of we have for one another will cover our shortcomings. Maybe saying, God bless you as you leave a conversation, even if you're not sure if that person's going to accept that blessing or not. This was something God challenged me in this year was to say, God bless you when I leave places like the grocery store, um, places of, you know, wherever I'm at, the coffee shop or you name it, just saying, God bless you. And not one person have I said God bless you to was like, no, I don't want that, you know. And even if they aren't believers, they're usually pretty polite about it and they just accept it and move on. But I don't know why I have had this inkling this year to say, hey, like, I, I'm going to make sure when I leave somewhere, people feel like God blesses them. Maybe it's saying, or, or there's nothing more special about you. Why do we expect there to be something special about others to be worthy of it? God chose you, and he chose you because he loves you, just as he does every other person in his creation. He didn't choose you for the sake of just following him, but that there would be a relationship with him. We don't follow, we don't follow Jesus. We don't come to church just to, just to follow God and check the box. We come to church, we, we encounter other believers in things like MTI, as we serve together in things like kids ministry, as we attend classes like Hearing God, or as we um, serve our youth and our kids or whatever, you name it, as we go to prime timers and we, we just sit down with people and we're in relationship with people. God chose you, but he, we don't just follow him. We, we pursue this for an actual relationship. And in relationship with the vine, we abide in him, we bear fruit, and we we bear fruit in our communities. I get the feeling this was really important to Jesus because he took his last conversation with his disciples to make sure that they knew. And I get the feeling that it was important to Jesus that we abide in him because abiding in him is the only way to bear good fruit that will last. It was the only way for the early church to, I'm going to say, explode in the growth like it did. It's the only way for, the, for early Christians to survive persecution and even death for Jesus' name. They were abiding in him, and they were, they, he was their source of life, and it didn't matter what the world might say about them or try and harm them for. They were abiding in Jesus, and that was enough. Abiding Jesus it was the only way Christianity was able to change the world as it has through centuries and now just as importantly as it has always been, it's vital to abide in Him. Absolute dependence on Him is the only way the vineyard stays healthy and grows. Because if we're abiding in Him, we're welcoming the pruning. If we're abiding in Him, we're helping one another. We're willing to be stretched and lifted up and hung back up on the vine again and our branches pulled up off the ground so we're not thrown out. We're looking after one another for when there's a branch drooping on the ground, we lift each other up and we have a loving relationship like Jesus would love us with one another. What do you think your branch looks like in the vineyard today? Is it growing? Is it, is it contributing to the harvest? How are you serving the vine and the life it gives you? How are you serving Jesus and the life he gives you? What, or we must be a church that abides in him. If we want to grow, if we want our children, our grandchildren, our friends, 
our coworkers, our bosses that sometime are too hard on us, whatever, you name it. We want people, us to grow and people around us to grow. It starts with us and abiding in him and that absolute dependence on him for our life. If we're not absolutely dependent on him, then our fruit will reflect it, our relationships will reflect it, our lives will reflect it, or I'd say our lack of life might reflect it. Absolute dependence on him is the only way our vineyard stays healthy. It's the only way our church stays healthy. It's the only way our communities stay healthy and fully committed to the Lord. Amen? Would you pray with me this morning? God, I want to invite you to be a part of this process. Lord, you don't need our invitation, but Lord, I want to distinctly and purposely invite you to be a part of this process in our lives. Lord, what does it look like for us to be so dependent on you that even when it's uh, asking or thinking, what should I do here? We're gonna, I'm going to turn to the Lord. When we have a difficult situation or, or a difficult person in our life, we turn, to the, we turn to you. We're so dependent on you that it becomes our reflex to ask you for help. It becomes our reflex to turn to you for direction. It becomes our reflex to pray for others in our lives that we know need your assistance as well, that we're not just selfishly looking at ourselves and asking, what is it we need for our help or our growth, Lord, but how do we pray for the growth of others? We're not just looking out for how we're abiding in you. We're looking out for how our relationships or other disciples, our other followers are abiding in you as well. Lord, be a part of this process. Convict us if we need it. Encourage us when we need it. Lord, direct us in a path of righteousness back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.